Welcome to the Mystic Lighthouse, your beacon for the paranormal. Each week we will explore a grab bag of different cryptid sightings, hauntings, UFO encounters, and various other true tales that are sure to leave you questioning, what are you willing to believe? Hello everyone, and welcome to the Mystic Lighthouse. This week, we have a couple of brand new submissions that are purportedly true, and one submission that is an original story written by a listener that I really enjoyed, so I decided to add it to this week's episode. So sit back and enjoy this week's tales from the Mystic Lighthouse. Our first story comes from Taff, and he tells us some of his experiences while working as an underwater videographer. Hi, my name is Taff Williams, and uh, I have an interesting story for you, several actually, but this one I'll tell you first. Um, my um, passion, if you like, is uh, scuba diving and uh, as such, I've become um, an underwater videographer. I travel the world quite extensively, and I um, meet some interesting people. Uh, I live here in Michigan, and um, I'm actually from Wales in Britain. And um, the question you asked about, you know, paranormal stories and stuff like that, um, to some point I believe everyone is, is uh, psychic, uh, whether or not they accept that or not, um, in my opinion, we are to some degree or another, and uh, as a young child, you know, I was um, well aware of uh, spiritual activities, um, the home that I grew up in, I know was haunted, not by menacing or evil entities or things like that, probably just residue um, hauntings, however, I, I became quite sensitive to it. Over the years, as I uh, grew up, you know, I left the Valleys of Wales. Va the Valleys of Wales is a um, close-knit community, a mining community. I, I grew up in a mining family, coal mines. Um, eventually, when I did leave, I, I sort of uh, traveled the world, and I became a, a diving instructor and then the water cameraman. And I had the good fortune to work with one of well, many actors, but one of the biggest actors in Britain, um, David Jason, or Sir David Jason. He's better known as Del Boy. Um, he was a huge, huge um, success in the um, late 70s, 80s, and 90s. And uh, he's still acting today. And we've become very, very good friends over the years. But one interesting trip that happened to us 
we were filming uh, for his series, for his dive series in his element. And we were down in a place called Micronesia, um, in a place called Truck Lagoon. And what's interesting about this place is um, during the Second World War, the Japanese fleet had um, moored up inside of the reef to do repairs and, um, you know, replace parts and um, scheduling sailors and military and stuff like that um, because there was a nasty storm going on. Um, and then apparently the uh, story goes is that a lost U.S. airman flew over this island Okay, so we uh, arrive at the surface, and David and I uh, are, are both um, clearly uh, not distressed, but not very happy. And he said, you know, this is one of the most beautiful islands in the world we've ever been to. And uh, I feel really down, you know, depressed. I said, that. same for me, Dave, you know. So we went off, did our thing, and the last day of diving, we went again. Same thing, we went down around this wreck. And um, it was eerie, to, to say the least. So we, the dive master, uh, same thing. He stayed on the bow. We went round did our thing, just the two of us. Came back on the surface. We, we were there, and he said, man, I can't believe what's going on, you know. I mean, mega depression. And then I said to the dive master, do you get upset with when you dive around? He said, I won't dive that ship. I said, what do you mean you won't dive the ship? He said, I'll take people down but I stay on the bow I said why he said, because it's haunted I said what he said it's haunted I said I really said, yeah I saw something years ago and uh, I'll never dive that ship I take people down and that's it and so, so David and I looked at each other you know said, wow and uh explained a lot of things and and then over the years I, you know I I done lots of diving I I do wrecks and caves, and I've had similar situations happen to me in different locales and caves and stuff like that. Um, so I joined a group called GRASP, Gathering Researchers, Stories of Paranormal Phenomena. And um, I, you know, made in inquiries with these guys, and they told me about the uh, residual energy that can be absorbed into buildings and stuff like that. And I thought, well, probably the same thing with ships. Why not? So then I've made it my quest now to um, search wrecks, looking for any paranormal activity that I can. And I'm currently um, working on some projects right now. And the show is going to, going to be called Fish and Ships. And um, due to the COVID, you know, traveling restrictions, I'm limited to the States right now. So um, once the good weather comes, I'll be um, heading out and doing my thing. Thank you guys. Bye. Yeah, to continue. Um, so the Japanese fleet were moored up inside the lagoon and uh, a lost American aviator pilot flew over and saw, saw these uh, ships moored up and um, he actually reported back to base um, that he saw these ships and it um, proceeded to turn into Operation Hailstorm, where um, hundreds of these, dozens, I should say, of the ships that were moored up uh, were attacked by the U.S. Air Force. 
and they sunk um, dozens and dozens of uh, wrecks, uh, Japanese ships, sent them to the bottom of the lagoon. Some of the depths are almost 200 feet, and um, a couple of, I believe, submarines got destroyed as well. Anyway, we went there to, to do a film in Truck Lagoon, Micronesia, and on one of these uh, dives, David and I, we went down, and I actually went down the day before him to shoot the B-roll for the ship. So I would go around with a, a truckies dive master. Now the truckies dive master told me he would only take me to the bow of the ship and then let me do my own thing. So I thought, oh, this is great, you know. He's not going to kick up the silt. So off I went and I started to go around the ship filming different things and uh, tanks and whatever was down there. And I had that eeriest feeling, you know, like shivers. I, I can't explain it. Anyway, um, I came back to him and we ascended to the surface and I had this like mega depression, you know, and I didn't say anything about it. So the next day, David and I went down and he's a, quite a comedian in real life and he, he was clowning around on this dive. So we go down and we, we're swimming around. Again, the, the dive master we went with said he's going to stay on the on, on the bow and he'll wait for us to come back. So again, I thought, well, oh, great, you know, he's not going to bother us or, or kick up the sediment. So we swim around and um, I'm with David and I look down and I put my hand in the silt and I pick up this white thing and I look at it and it's actually the top of a skull. And then, ooh, so we, we put that back and we went around the other dive and uh, we came up and uh, we were, he and I were, were both in these like uh, um, really depression on sort of like on the verge of crying, you know, and, and he said to me, you know what, this is one of the most beautiful islands in the world and I feel so depressed. And I said, Our next story is from Rob, and he tells us about his experience with a very tidy ghost in a new apartment. Hi, this is Rob from Biopics Mostly Suck. Thank you for the opportunity to tell my ghost story. When my wife-to-be and I first moved in together, we rented a 420-square-foot studio apartment in La Mesa, California. 10 miles east of San Diego. The layout of the place was a living area, such as it was, combined with the area for the bed. There was a small kitchen separated from the living area by a breakfast bar and a short hallway off of the sleeping area, which led to the bathroom. Our furniture consisted of a double papasan, which is a chair from Pier 1 Imports, a futon, and a side table. We had one car to our name, and I would drop my wife-to-be off at work before I headed into work. Pretty soon, we noticed something odd. We came home one day, and the shampoo which was used in the bathroom was sitting on the breakfast bar. We found it odd since we had been away all day, and we put the shampoo back in the bathroom. This started to happen with some frequency. But it just became part of our day, so we didn't think much of it. 
and then my keys disappeared. After a search of the apartment, which didn't take that long, the keys were found, tucked in a fold of the Papasong cushion. I put the keys back on the breakfast bar. We realized we might be sharing the apartment with a poltergeist, and we sat in the middle of the living room and explained that we need to live here. We can't afford to go anywhere else. And we asked them to not disrupt things too much, and we would be happy to share the space. The keys and the shampoo moving in the apartment became a regular thing. We never saw anything float. But if the keys weren't on the breakfast bar, just go to the Papasan and you will find them there. One night I woke up and found the covers were off of both of us. They weren't bunched up at the foot of the bed as if we had kicked them off in the middle of the night. The top sheet and the blanket were laid out flat and square on the floor at the foot of the bed. Because we were already familiar with our spirit, I pulled the covers back up on us and went back to sleep. I'm sorry there's not any blood seeping from the walls in the story or people in danger from menacing ghosts. Several years later, my now wife and I had moved to another apartment, not because of the spirit, but because we moved to a one-bedroom apartment and our landlord was in the apartment to take care of something. I happened to mention our experience to her, and she said, I happen to dabble in parapsychology. It sounds like you had a very tidy ghost. She went on to explain that whatever was moving in the apartment did not belong where we had put it, according to the spirit. My keys may have belonged on a side table, which used to be where the papasan is, for instance. And our ghost may not have been seeing a bottle of shampoo or a set of keys. They may have been seeing something completely differently. Whatever it was, those two items did not belong where we place them every day. When I tell people this story, people often ask if I believe in ghosts. I don't think that is the question. I don't think ghosts are a belief system. I think they are out there. And you either have an experience with them, or you don't. We did, and it was an experience I won't forget. Our last story is a submission from Creepy Collaborative on YouTube. While it is not purported to be true, it is still a very creepy short story nonetheless, so I decided to add it as a bonus story. So thank you, Creepy Collaborative, for the submission, and I hope you all enjoy. You hear that sound? Yeah, the sound of sirens. I have to remind myself every time I hear them that it's just a test of our national emergency warning system, although a part of me will always remain skeptical. Growing up, I had an idealistic childhood. We lived in a small fishing town that had been founded in the late 1600s off the coast of Maine, littered with historic architecture and the sweet scent of sea mixed with the scent of the bakery every morning to greet the residents. My family was among the slightly 
better off in town, so there wasn't much we didn't have, and my parents showered my little sister and I with love and affection every chance they got. Our father would take us up and down the coast to collect seashells for our mother to then use in little crafting projects of all types with the two of us later on. My favorite thing to do was to close my eyes and feel the wind bellowing up off the sea and whipping around me, and I would listen to the rumbling of the waves crashing ashore. Living right on the coast meant that it wasn't uncommon that we would be hit with rainfall coming inland from the sea. On occasion, when the storms were particularly extreme, the sound of the sirens would slowly start to blare, building into a crescendo only to climb again and again, ensuring that along with the bellowing thunder and crashing rain, our ears were ringing with the severity of the sirens. I never liked when these storms happened. My little sister seemed to be excited by them. She would often ignore our mother's orders to stay inside and run out into the backyard to jump in puddles and spin in the rain. Our father often did nothing to discourage this. On occasion, he even cheered her on. I think he enjoyed the storms too and the energy they brought. The day those things came ruined everything though. I remember that our mother and father had been home together on vacation from their jobs and they were just spending time with us and it was so peaceful. That morning, Mom had made a huge breakfast spread and our father came marching down the stairs shouting, Where are my two favorite skippers? And my sister and I ran up and hugged him and then we all sat down to enjoy that breakfast laid out in front of us. That's when it first happened, when we heard that all too familiar winding up of the siren leading to a bellowing tone signaling that we should take shelter. Looking bewildered, our mother shuffled quickly to the window commenting on how it was a beautiful day out and Dad was quick to dismiss the sirens as a fluke, and we continued to go about our morning as usual, just with the sirens now humming in the background. As the day progressed and no news came about the sudden and out-of-place sirens, we were growing antsy. Our father finally decided he had had enough and donned his faded blue baseball cap and bound down the street into town determined to get to the bottom of things. Hours had passed and he didn't return still, and I could almost swear that there were more sirens now, all blasting their song in different directions. As the sun began to set in the horizon, our mother grew impatient waiting for our father to return, so she told us to stay put and watch some TV until she returned. She set off into the twilight of the evening in the direction of town. About ten minutes later was when we saw the emergency broadcast come across our TV. The TV stated in a simple, pre-recorded message to stay indoors and shelter in place and await further instructions. This caused my stomach to drop and my throat to tighten up. There I was with my younger sister, alone in our house, not knowing where our parents were, having every scary thought possible running through our minds. That was when we heard what sounded like screaming coming from down towards town. Jumping to attention, my little sister rushed to the front door and bolted out onto the porch with me following closely behind to get her to come back in. When I caught up to her, I found her staring out onto the shoreline across the road with a frozen and confused expression on her face. I slowly lifted my gaze from her to where she was staring, and that's when I first saw it. A massive creature bounding its way slowly up the shoreline as waves crashed against its jagged legs. This monstrosity was at least 40 feet tall, and it looked somewhat human in shape, but far too jagged. I could barely make out its features in the dwindling sunlight, but I was able to see it was covered in a skin that looked to be the color of rust, and its arms were almost the length of its whole body. 
just about reaching the ground where it met with its hands that were covered in what looked like wires and jagged metal. The head was what made the least sense to me in that moment. It seemed to be two sirens placed on a slim pole, each just off center of the other. The opening seemed to be filled with sharp teeth covered in some type of rust-colored liquid with a long snake-like tongue protruding out of each as though it was tasting its surroundings. I noticed something out of the corner of my eye, something moving below the creature between the fence lines separating the beach from the grass field we lived across from. It was a person. I was sure once I saw them stand up and make a run for it towards the boat shack about 50 feet away from them. It wasn't long before the creature seemed to take notice of the person and it blasted out what seemed to be a battle cry and bounded after the person, swooping them up in its sharp claws. The poor soul screamed for dear life as the creature raised it to its heads and began to what looked like shred them alive, spraying blood and body parts far and wide. I stood watching frozen in fear. That's when I heard the siren bellow. Turning quickly, I saw another one of those creatures drifting down the road in our direction. Thinking quickly, I grabbed my little sister by the arm and I rushed us inside where I locked all the doors and turned off all the lights. My sister and I quietly headed into the small fruit cellar we had with a blanket and an old camping lantern. My sister found a way to fall asleep through the booming sound of the sirens and the screams coming from above us. I sat in that dingy room made of compact dirt for hours with my mind transfixed on what could have happened to our parents. As dawn approached, the sound of the night before seemed to have completely subsided and was replaced by the song of morning birds and the calls of the seagulls. We made our way out of the fruit cellar slowly and attempting not to make any noise. We pushed open the front door slowly, staying low enough to be under the cover of the railing along our front porch. Lifting my head above that railing, I saw standing completely still, maybe only about 30 feet away from us, the creature from the night before. But this time, I saw many of them looming still above the canopy of the trees and jetting out from the water line along the shore and standing completely still between homes down our street. I heard a rattling coming from a few houses over and I realized it must have been the neighbor's pitbull. I heard a loud crack and then a bark that grew louder and closer as a dog came into view. I could see the creature start to stir as the dog got closer. Once the dog was roughly 15 feet from the creature in front of us, it jerked suddenly, crouching low before releasing a booming siren, sending my sister and I shuffling back against the house and the dog bounding the opposite direction. The sound the creature made seemed to have woken the others because one by one we heard the whining of a new siren joining their choir of beastly calls. The dog managed to shimmy itself into a storm drain just as the creature reached its long, thin arm to grab it. Quickly, once the animal was out of the creature's sight, it returned to a still position and the sound of the sirens faded out, followed by the others. Silence washed over us again and I whispered to my little sister to head to the door and go back inside. Every few hours, we would hear the sound of the sirens bellow out their hunting call, and each time we did, my sister and I would sink and cower deeper and deeper into the cellar. As time went on, the sirens got fewer and farther between, and it had been a whole day since we had heard anything. That's when I felt the rumbling of what seemed like semi-trucks coming down our street, and I heard a car horn along with a message on a loudspeaker. A loud male voice boomed with authority. This is the United States National Guard. My sister and I looked to each other perplexed. This area is all clear, and all surviving citizens are required to report to the command post at the center of town. 
A look of relief washed over my sister as we hugged. We climbed out onto the porch to see with our own eyes, and sure enough, there was a procession of tanks and big trucks with soldiers marching down the street with horns repeating the message we had just heard moments ago. We made our way into the town center with the procession as well as a few people who had stumbled out of their hiding places themselves. Once in town, we had to tell a guard our names, and he asked us if we knew where our parents were, and we answered with no, and that they had gone out the first night and never came back. The guard led us to a tent with a few other children that we had recognized, and he left us there to wait. Sometime later, that same guard came in asking for us both to follow him once more, and he led us to what looked like a medical tent where there on a cot in the corner with bandages around her arm we saw our mother who was crying tears of joy. Wrapping us up in her arms, instantly the world stopped. However, just as that happened, we heard the booming of a siren bellow out through the air. My blood ran cold as ice and my mother grabbed us both and we ran outside. There, bounding down the street, was another one of those creatures, only moving much faster and seeming even more aggressive than the ones before. Soldiers ran forward, shooting at it seemingly to no avail, making the beast angrier and more vicious. That's when I noticed, stuck to the jagged piece of flesh on the beast's shoulder was a faded blue baseball cap, splattered in crimson. Before I could articulate what that meant, a blast came from the sky, sending bits of the creatures flying in all directions. The remaining inhabitants of the town that I had grown up in and I were forced to relocate and we were all sworn to secrecy about what happened in exchange for a good deal of money. The official story released by the US military was that a sudden massive storm had battered the town and surrounding area causing catastrophic damage and causing a nearby nuclear reactor to become unstable. This of course rendered the area too dangerous for humans to live there resulting in the relocation of the remaining population those of us that weren't killed by the flooding from the storm, that is. When you hear the sound of sirens, just listen carefully. And if you hear more than one, just stay hidden. Thank you for joining me today in the Mystic Lighthouse. All stories submitted and narrated are purported to be true. The Mystic Lighthouse is produced and narrated by your host, Bo Carver. If you have any stories you would like to tell, you can submit them at themysticlighthouse at gmail.com. And tune in next week for all new tales.